If you have your Bibles tonight, I'd invite you to join me in the Old Testament book of Haggai. And uh, that is uh, uh, perhaps not a book that we find ourselves turning to with great frequency or regularity. So if you need to use the table of contents, by all means, you can do so. If it's helpful, it's right in between Zephaniah and Zechariah. And if that's not very helpful, it's the third from last book of the Old Testament. So the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. Next to the last book is uh, Zechariah. And then right before there, you'll find the book of Haggai. It's a short Old Testament book, but it's not an insignificant Old Testament book. And so for a few moments tonight, I want us to look at Haggai uh, chapter, chapter 1. Probably every family has uh, stories that uh, live in family lore, and when everybody gets together, they enjoy telling them, and no matter how many times you tell them, they're always funny, or they always take you back to a certain time. In our family, on my mom's side, we, we have a story like that. It involves my mom's mom and her sister, well, my mom's sister, uh, so my mom's mom's other daughter. Anybody following that? Two relatives of my mom. Um, and they were together. They were going to drive from Atlanta, Georgia, here to North Carolina for a visit. So they got in the car and, and packed everything up, put on their favorite uh, music, and started the drive. And just were enjoying each other's company and laughing it up and, and uh, enjoying their drive from uh, Atlanta to North Carolina. And they had driven for a good little while when they saw a sign they did not expect to see. And the sign was, welcome to Alabama. So, so, uh, so uh, they always got a kick out of the fact that they got on the interstate state heading west when they were supposed to be on the interstate heading east, and they didn't realize their mistake until well into the trip. And then they did what you have to do at that point. You get off the interstate and you turn around, right? Uh, the prophets declared messages to the Old Testament people that uh, you're headed in the wrong direction. And by the way, if you're heading in the wrong direction, what you need more than anything else is for somebody to come along and tell you that you are heading in the wrong direction. Haggai is a prophet in the Old Testament. We found his book. Let's find out a little bit about him. And uh, uh, tonight's message, I really want to take four phrases from the first chapter of Haggai, but give you a little bit of background here in just verse 1. And the second year... Uh, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of uh, Shetel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So that was a mouthful, was it not? So let's state it in a way you and I might understand. On August the 29th, 520 B.C., the word of the Lord came to Haggai. And there in the very first, uh, very first verse of the book, you see that there's a prophet listed, there's a priest listed, and there's a king listed. Those are the three offices of the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. And each of their offices are extremely important, but their roles are diverse. In other words, the king has his responsibility, that's to govern, right? That's the king's in charge, he has the authority. The priest has his responsibility, that's to make intercession between God and man, and the prophet has his responsibility, and the prophet's responsibility is to declare the word of the Lord. And so there's a king, there's a priest, there's a prophet, and you see that there are three different people. That's extremely important, because only one person, only one person is prophet, priest, and king. Only one person is the ultimate prophet, the high priest, and the king of kings, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in 520 B.C., the people... The Old Testament saints find themselves in an interesting period of time. So before we d d dive into Haggai's message, we've got to get our historical bearings. 
This is after the Babylonian captivity. One of the most significant events of all the Old Testament was the Babylonian captivity. People of God had given themselves over to idolatry. They had ignored the messages of other prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel among them, saying you're headed in the wrong direction, and stubbornly continued down that road until God said, if you don't turn around, there'll be destruction. There'll be captivity. They refused to turn around. They refused to get on the exit ramp and head, head, uh, head east, so to speak. And so God gave them over to 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And Haggai, when he's prophesying, that's in the rearview mirror. That's in the past. Now, God had miraculously delivered them from that man for, by the hand of Darius, also known as Cyrus the king. And, and he had allowed a remnant of people to return from Babylon to Jerusalem. And guess what they found when they got back to Jerusalem? They found their holy city laid waste. The walls of the city crumbling. And most significantly, most importantly, the temple of God lay in ruins. And, and, and so Haggai's message comes to them at a time where they're discouraged. And not only are they discouraged, they're disobedient. And we're going to specify why they're disobedient and what exactly is that they're doing that's disobedient. So, so here's what I would like to do. I want to, I want to take four phrases right from Haggai tonight. Talk to them about what they meant in those days. And, and then, you know, the, the Word of God's alive and active. This is a, a prophet from 520 B.C., so a long time ago. However, what I would encourage us is I would like to bring a prophetic message, not because I'm a prophet or the son of a prophet, but because I'm bringing a message from a prophet, Haggai, from the Word of God. And, and here's, the, here's, the, here's a little bit of the gist with prophetic uh, messages from the Word of God is they make us a little bit uncomfortable and one of the reasons that we can ignore these prophets is because what they have to say, it comes close to home. And so I want to take four phrases and, and expound on them just for a few moments tonight. And I'm going to trust that the Lord will use his word to speak to, to us. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. It's alive and it's active. And here we have opened it up to... Um, to what's frequently an overlooked portion of Scripture. But we want to be people who believe all 66 books of the Old Testament, or all, all, excuse me, all, all 39 books of the Old Testament and 27 of the New, all 66 books of your Word. We believe all of it's the Word of God. So, Father, would you use this one chapter tonight to speak truth to us? If there's anyone among us who's heading in the wrong direction, by your Word and power and in clarity, would you give it the Word that it's, that it's time to turn around? And what it's time to turn from and what... Also, it's time to go to and turn to. I pray you'd use your word for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, verse number two. We're going to find our uh, first phrase there. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now, again, they returned from captivity, and they found the whole city of Jerusalem laid in ruins. I mean, can you imagine returning to Rocky Mount and everything's in ruins? Uh, perhaps the, the, the closest association we can make in 2013 here in America is, you remember when the World Trade Center was attacked, and it, was, and it collapsed, and how they've rebuilt it, right? And how patriotic it's been to see the new tower rise. And, and, and if you've been to Ground Zero, Julie and I uh, took a trip in, uh, I believe it was 2003, saw the huge hole in the ground. And, and even there, the signs that were, that were, that were there about how we're going to rebuild the, the tower. Now, now, it was not a tower, a trade center that had been collapsed. It's the temple of the Lord that now lay in ruins. And here's my first phrase. These people say, it's actually not a phrase, it's a whole sentence. 
These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the temple, or the house, rather, of the Lord. Now, many people who had been in Babylon never returned to Jerusalem. Just a few, just a few did, just a remnant. It was either too painful for them or too costly for them, and they just decided to settle elsewhere. So the, so the remnant that is in Jerusalem is doing more than most. Uh, most of the majority said, well, no, we're not going to go back to Jerusalem. It's just a small group. And, and so they've returned and already doing more than most, but, but they've said, again, just what the Word of God says, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So, so let's look at it two ways. One, who is saying it, and then two, who's not saying that. Because they're saying it's not time, but the Lord is not saying that statement. They had made a determination and a decision that was governing their actions that was not based on the word of God. Let me just say that one more time. (laughs) They had made a determination, they had made a decision that was governing their actions that was not based on the word of God. So just briefly and pointedly, may I ask you in your life, Do you make decisions that govern your actions that are not based on the word of of God? Because we can find ourselves in a similar situation. We're doing more than most, right? We're here on Sunday evening. We've come to worship the Lord together, to pray together. We're doing more than most. But is it possible that in your own life, you're saying that it's not time to do something, and the Lord is saying, oh, actually, it is time to do something. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about what God's word tells us not to do. Have you noticed that? We, we just, we're just more prone and more apt to give attention to, to what God's Word says. Don't do this and don't do that. Flee this. Don't do that. But I'm convinced that the spiritually mature not only pay attention to what God's Word says not to do, but also pay great attention to what God's Word says to do. Here are some things that the Word of God says to do, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Look, not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. For, forgive as you have been forgiven. Now, the temple is where God is worshipped. The temple in those days is where God makes himself known. And they decided they would rebuild it when they were ready to rebuild it. You know what the word is? Procrastinating. They're procrastinating about something. But what they're procrastinating about is actually what their priority should be. They're putting something off to tomorrow that they said, the time, notice what it says, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. They're not not going around saying, we're never going to rebuild the temple. They're they're not that brazen. They're just saying, it's not quite time to do it now. So let's make application. There is no more temple today in that sense. But there's still a temple today, amen? The New Testament makes it very clear what the temple is. It's not a building, it's a people. You the plural you in Corinthians, you are the temple of the living God. So, so a pointed question is, are we putting off the building of the temple of God? And we'll get to why they decided that in just a, just a minute. But they had an idea, an attitude that they would eventually get around to it. They would eventually get around to properly worshiping God. They would get around to building up what distinguished them from all the other people on the face of the planet. They were going to do it. They just weren't going to do it today. There would be time, another season, to rebuild the temple. It just wasn't now. Now, there is a tendency in all of us 
to put off what is most important. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that we, we have this tendency to just put it off until tomorrow? Now, there are two days the devil loves. You know what the two days the devil loves are? Yesterday and tomorrow. He loves to drag up stuff from the past. Perhaps he does this in your life. And you want to walk with the Lord, and then all of a sudden he starts dragging up all this stuff that happened yesterday. Yeah, yeah, you want to walk with the Lord, but do you remember what you did back then? And that's one of his strategies. And perhaps there's some among us this evening that are trapped in the past, a past mistake, a past hurt, a past pain, and you're still living back there. The other day that he loves to emphasize is tomorrow. What does the Bible say about tomorrow? Don't boast about tomorrow. Don't be worried about tomorrow. The, uh, uh, the devil loves to have you make all sorts of grand plans of doing great things for the Lord as long as you plan to do it when? Tomorrow. The enemy loves to talk about yesterday and tomorrow. And there's one day, however, that the Lord emphasizes. You know what that day is? Today. Right now. What's the day of salvation according to the scripture? Today is the day of salvation. Here's what it says in Hebrews. Today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart. Maybe you've been thinking in your own life, I'm going to focus on my marriage. I'm going to do that tomorrow. Oh, we're the first of the year, right? We're so close, right? We're so close to New Year's resolution, and, and you're going to do something, and you're just going to, it's 2014. But perhaps, perhaps you said the same thing this time last year about 2013. And perhaps you said the same thing in 2011 about 2012. And we can keep going back and back and forth. Perhaps you've decided, I'm really going to get serious about studying God's Word. I'm going to do that tomorrow. There's a sin in my life that I really need to overcome by the glory, by the grace of God, for the glory of God. And I'm going to do it, but I'm just going to do it tomorrow. And this is precisely the formula for a wasted week, a wasted month, a wasted year. And if you don't see the time to turn around sign, it's precisely the formula for a wasted life. To come to the end of your days and say, I put it off and I put it off and I put it off and then there's no more tomorrow to put it off to. So as we come to the end of 2013, are you more holy than you were at the start of the year? Are you spiritually stronger in walking with Jesus than you were at the start of 2013? More joyful, more generous, more faithful. The people returning to Jerusalem from Babylon had all the stories of what God had done in the past. They, had, they, they, they loved the stories about what God had done in the life of Abraham, about the mighty deliverance in Moses' life out of Egypt, and the great King David. But don't you see what God is eager to do for them is something great in their own day. God will work today. He will work among a people who do not procrastinate, who do not put things off. So can I just pause just for a moment here? And by the word of God and by the spirit of God, if he is revealing something in your life to do, can I encourage you in the name of Jesus, don't put it off until tomorrow. Well, let's get our next phrase here. We'll keep reading together. Verse number three. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while, the ho while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Now thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. 
And the second phrase is a, is a phrase that's used twice in those verses. It's a three-word phrase. Consider your ways. The prophet Haggai stands before the people and asks them to do a very simple thing. It's a very simple thing. And it's an extremely important thing for people to do. But it's also something that we procrastinate about. Consider your ways. Take inventory of your life. Think carefully about your life. And isn't it very easy in our day not to do this? I mean, don't you find that your alarm clock, if you use an alarm clock, and it goes off in the morning, till the time that you go to bed in the evening, that you can use all that time and never really think. You know what I mean? Especially in our, in our modern age with media. You got your phone and you got the screens, and it's just like you can just kind of go through the whole day and you're alive and you're active and you're making and you're talking, but you're not ever really thinking because you're always distracted. Now, no doubt there was much work to be done. They've re- returned from the Babylonian captivity. They're some of the few that have actually come back. But, they, but the prophet says, consider your ways. Did you know it's possible to train your mind not to think? To just sort of exist but not think? To, to act more of as a, as a receiver than as an initiator? How about in your life, in your mind, the way that you think? Do you, do you use your mind as a, 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 as a receiver or as, a, as an initiator? Let me give you a few examples of people in the Bible who God said to consider your way carefully, and they didn't do it. First of all is Cain. You remember when the offering, that Abel brings an offering and Cain brings an offering, and the Lord, we could turn there in Genesis 4, the Lord comes to Cain and says, in essence, consider your ways. He doesn't use those exact words, but he says, why is your face, fall, why is your face fallen? Why, is, why are you downcast? Why are you angry? Uh, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, and you must overcome it, is what the Lord says to, says to Cain. And Cain didn't take time to carefully consider his way. The next is Genesis 25, Jacob and Esau. Esau comes in from a long day of, of hunting, and he's as hungry as he can be, and there's Jacob, right? He's made the stew, and Esau makes the most foolish trade in the history of mankind. He, he trades his birthright in for for a momentary a pot of stew. You know what that reminded me of? You, have, you eat, but you never have enough. Esau is the, is the father of all those who trade in their birthright. Your birthright, what you're created to do is know God, and you give that up for momentary shallow pleasures. Esau did not carefully consider his ways, and as the Bible says, he despised his birthright because of it. 2 Samuel 11 is another example of a man who did not consider his ways. In the springtime of the year, when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and all his servants with him. And late one afternoon, he rose from his couch, and while he was on the roof of the house, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And he said, who is this? And the answer came back, is this not Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And and, and David said, bring her to me. And in the worst uh, season of David's life, he doesn't carefully consider his ways. Ephesians 5 puts it this way, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Let's read again here uh, in Haggai, and he gets a little specific in verse 6. So, so let me give you three things, three, three areas to really consider your ways. He says, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. So let me give you three uh, quick questions about considering your ways. Number one, how do you use your time? 
And that's a big part of the message that Haggai is getting at. How do you use your time? Again, look what he says. You've sown much. You spent a lot of time sowing. And we, we know the metaphor there. Sowing is planting the crop. He says you've sown much, but, you've, but you're actually harvesting very little. Uh, he, he goes on to say, uh, you eat, but you never have enough. So, so first of all, how do you use your time? Are you redeeming the time or are you just wasting through the days? You know, we'll never have another December. What is today? 15th, 2013. It's never coming back. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. How do you use your time? Secondly, kind of a broad question, is what are you seeking to satisfy you? Isn't that what he's asking here? You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you, nev- but you never have your fill. Perhaps Thanksgiving or this coming Christmas, you're going to sit at a table and you're going to eat. And when you're done eating, you're going to feel like, I will never have to eat again. You've been there? Maybe you're there this, this afternoon at lunchtime. You're so full that you just think to yourself, man, if I ate one more thing, I think I'd be sick. And then what happens three hours later? What's in that refrigerator? You already know what's in the refrigerator. You're actually hoping there's something else in there, right? That's open it up and start a little snack and so on that's a that's a metaphor of sin you know what one of the great problems of a sin is a sin creates an appetite in you that it can't itself satisfy sort of like sugar in that sense the more sugar you eat the more sugar you want and then it's just it's just a it's just a digging it deeper and deeper and deeper they've become darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of god due to their hardness of heart they have given themselves up to sensuality eager to practice every form of impurity that's what the scripture says of those who've given themselves over to the flesh and don't walk with the Lord. So what are you seeking to satisfy you? You know, what is it that you want for Christmas? Right? If you get it, how long is that satisfaction going to last? Number three, and he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. How do you invest your money? That's what he's asking. That's always a little, bit, uh, a little bit uncomfortable when we talk about money, but the Bible talks a lot about it. It's talking about it here. There is simply no getting around the fact that the surest way to gauge the condition of your heart is to check the receipts. There's just no other way of getting around it. Now, how does this happen? How do a people choose to put off what's most important? Now, again, now would be a good time to make application on this temple matter because the application isn't we're going to go build a building, it's a temple we are the building, amen? We're the, we're, the, we're the church of the living God. Look at Haggai verses 1, verse 8. He says, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So the purpose of the Old Testament temple is the same as the purpose of the New Testament temple, and that's that the Lord would be glorified in it. The Lord is glorified in the temple of his people when they choose to build up his body. You're, uh, uh, look, look what it says here. I want you to see something that's really important. He says, okay, here's a remedy. Here's, here's the remedy for eating and never having enough, for drinking and never having your fill. Here's the remedy. Build out the house that, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So there's two things going on. Your satisfaction, your contentment, your joy, your, your being, your, your, your having enough. There's that. Satis- your satisfaction, we'll put it that way, and then the Lord being glorified. And I want you to see that the scripture puts these two things together. John Piper probably puts it most succinctly when he puts it this way. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. 
when you're satisfied in him, meaning whatever the world's going to offer, you know, whatever it's going to, I'd rather have Jesus in that than when you're satisfied in him, God's glorified it. And he wants to be glorified in his temple. He's bought his temple with his own blood that we would display his glory. So where, where did they get sideways on this? And that brings us to our third phrase. You look for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought, this verse 9, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts. Let me just insert a statement here. God will never, 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 never bless us at the expense of our own holiness. It won't ever happen. That's what he said. They're, try, they're working so hard, they're working so hard, and God says, I'm going to bring it to nothing. Why, declares the Lord. Because of my house that lies in ruins, and here comes our phrase, while each of you busies himself with his own house. That's phrase number three. Each of you busies himself with his own house. You know what the problem is? They were self-centered. They were self-focused. They're all wrapped up in their own lives, trying to build their own kingdom. In, In essence, what he's saying is they're building their own temple. You know, temples are places of worship. So if you just string out a little bit, what they're doing is they're worshiping. Really, they're ultimately, they're worshiping themselves. They've prioritized themselves. Yeah, 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 we're going to get to that, God, after we handle my house. We're going to get to your temple when my temple's built first. Are you busying yourself with your own house? I'm just asking you just a clear question. In your world, is everything all right as long as you're all right? As long as your children are all right, everything good. They were busying themselves. Each, each of you busies himself with his own house. It reminds me, you remember in Luke chapter 10, there's Martha working, 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 working. Busy as she could possibly be. A great hostess. Uh, She's cleaning everything and making everything so nice. And then she gets so irritated, right, with Mary. Because Mary's not working like she should be working. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus and Jesus is teaching. Now, you, uh, Martha is hosting the Lord Jesus, which is a good thing, but she's not listening to a word he says. <laughs> and you know, you can do that in the church. You can host the Lord Jesus, but not worship the Lord Jesus. And you know, there's a big difference between those two. Be, be, a, be a polite host to Jesus. We're so glad that you're here, but not bow your knee. Bow your face before the Holy Lamb of God. And you remember what Jesus said to Martha, right? Martha, Martha, Martha. You're anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. And doesn't that echo what Haggai's saying? Y'all are busy with so many things. Isn't this a busy time of the year? How's your calendar this week? Every night's full, isn't it? Every night's full, every lunch is full, every breakfast is full. We're anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. And you know, by the way, if they're going to actually be obedient, and we're going to see they are going to be obedient, they're going to be obedient to what God says to do. They're going to have to say no to a whole lot of other things. And you know what's true in life? If you're going to follow the Lord Jesus, you've got to learn to say no. I'm wired to say yes. I'm kind of a people pleaser. When people invite me to do something or do this, that, or the other, I just want to say yes, 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 yes. But I'm learning, if I'm going to say yes to the Lord, I'm going to have to say no to a whole lot of other things life's not about saying yes to a whole lot of things. Life's about saying yes to a few things. 
and, and, and not saying no to those few things, saying yes to those few things and no to everything else if necessary. Because here's what's happening in Jerusalem. A generation's coming up, watching their parents, busying themselves about their own house, and it's teaching them that's how you live. Oh, we get around to the Lord's temple when we get around to the Lord's temple. And everything's getting turned upside down. So you know what they need? They need a prophet. They need a prophet to stand up and say, you're about to get to Alabama, and you're supposed to be heading to North Carolina. Time to exit the ramp and turn around. You're busy. The Lord did not bring them back from Babylon so they could build up their own little houses. He brought them back from Babylon so that they could collectively display the glory of God. That was what's true of them. So let's say what's true of us. The Lord did not bring us out of death and into life so that we would busy ourselves about our own houses, but so that together we would live in such a way to display his glory. They had come out of Babylon, but Babylon hadn't quite come out of them. You know what I mean? (laughs) For 70 years they'd been in Babylon, and so God's trying to get a little bit of Babylon out of them. So as a church family, we need to answer these questions well. How do we use our time? How do we use our money? Are we prayerful? Are we humble? Are we quick to repent? There's one other phrase, and it's the best phrase of all. But I do want you to know that this fourth phrase only comes after the first three, right? So remember the first three phrases? These people have said that it's not time to rebuild the temple. Second phrase was, consider your ways. Third phrase was, they busy themselves in his own house. Verse 10, therefore the heavens above have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought in the, in the land and on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. In essence, God's saying, you're not going to serve me, I'm not going to provide for you. God won't bless us at the expense of our own holiness. Then Zerubbabel, the son of, and I'll just tell you what, that is a hard name to say, isn't it? Shealtiel and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. That's the governor and the priest. With the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And here's the fourth phrase. I am with you, declares the Lord. When they were obedient, the Lord gave them a promise. I am with you, declares the Lord. So uh, go back to the uh, first illustration. The Lord's saying, I'm heading to North Carolina. (laughs) Y'all heading to Alabama. You want to go to North Carolina, I'm going to be with you. But if you're going to Alabama, I'm not going to Alabama. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Alabama. You know, it may very well be the home of the next national championship football team. But uh, it's just just an example, just an illustration. I'm going there. And when they repent, when they repent and say, you're right, and they considered their ways and obeyed the voice of the Lord, then it is that the Lord says, I am with you. And can I just say this? You know what I want more than anything for our church, my life, our lives together? For the Lord to be able to look at us and say, I'm with you. Uh, Y'all are heading the right direction. My presence is with you. Let's stand together. We're going to pray together.
Just closing out what it says there. And the Lord stirred up the spirit. The Lord stirred up the spirit. Isn't that a great phrase? I pray that the Lord stirs up some spirits in here tonight. Of Zerubbabel, the son of that hard name again, governor of Judah. The spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year. That's 23 days later from where we started out. 20, in 23 days, they had turned around. I want to pray with you. And just as your heads are bowed, just taking this message from, straight from the prophet Zechariah. This people have said that it's not time to rebuild the house of the Lord. Is there anything in your life that you know by the word of God, by the spirit of God, that you should be doing that you've been putting off? A relationship that needs to be mended. A letter that needs to be written. Conversation that you know needs to happen. And, and, it's, and, and the Lord's impressed it on you by his word, by his spirit. And you've just said, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it tomorrow. Would you use this time of invitation to listen to the Lord? That he'd give you a holy determination not to put off till tomorrow what he's called you to do today. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts. And secondly, would you hear from God's word a careful, a clear call to consider your ways? I gave you three examples from the scripture tonight. Cain, Esau, and David. Three men, we could list more, but just those three, who in a season of their life did not carefully consider their ways, and it led to terrible things, both in their own lives and in the lives of other people. Would you consider your ways? Consider the way that you use your time. Consider what it is that you're really trying to satisfy you. Consider the use of your, your resources, your, your money. Are you investing in eternal things? This people busies himself with, each of them busies himself with his own house. Have you gotten too inward focused, too self-centered? And then that great phrase at the end, isn't it glorious? I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you, declares the Lord. The Lord is with the people who do not procrastinate. The Lord is with the people who carefully allow him to consider us, to examine us, and where we're found wanting, repent and believe and change and direction. The Lord is with the people who stop busying themselves with their own house and get to building up the temple of the Lord. Father, use this time of invitation to speak clearly to us from your word. I thank you for the prophet Haggai and his message to that people in that day. But also, Father, I pray by your spirit, it'd be a message for this people in this day. Lead us in a time of invitation to respond in a way that you lead us to do, a way that glorifies Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.